Wow. What's up, Clemson FCA? Man, it is good to be here. It is good to gather with the body of Christ. It is good uh, to see all of your faces, some that I know, some that I don't know. Man, I just want to say thank you for hopping back onto campus and making FCA a priority uh, week one. Um, Man, this team that is serving you and leading you, uh, they are so great, and they love you so deeply and dearly, and it's been a blessing to work with them over the last four hours or whatever it's been. Um, but man, I just want to say thanks for, for stepping out here and making this a priority. Before I hop in, I'm going to pray for us, and how I love to, to pray is have your hands wide open. So if you don't mind, I would ask that you just open up your hands like this. This is to convey that uh, we can't hold on to anything, we can't clinch anything. Whatever happens tonight is not of our own, it is all the Holy Spirit moving, um, and that is all we can ask for. So, bow your heads. Father, we're thankful. Lord, we're thankful to wake up this morning and call you our God. To call you our Father, to call the people in this room our brothers and sisters. Lord, you give us so many good gifts that we are undeserving of, and you just continue to shower blessings on us in order to bring us closer to yourself. And Father, I pray as we enter into a time of diving into your text, Lord, I pray that you just bring us collectively closer to yourself. Lord, that you have your way with our hearts. God, that you would silence my words, that they would fall on deaf ears. Lord, allow your words to pierce hearts and souls tonight. Lord, from wherever we're coming out of, whatever Christmas break or the holiday break looked like for us, whatever weights we're bringing in back into a spring semester, of college, Lord, I pray that we can just drop them all at your feet tonight and be in tune with your spirit. Jesus, we love you and we trust you. In your name we pray, amen. Sweet. Like they said, my name is Trent McClure. I work at Pine Cove Christian Camps. Um, yes, thank you, one person. I would love to introduce a very special lady to me, my better half, Abby McClure right here. Please wave, Abby. Yes. Somehow I fooled her into saying yes to me forever, and that's the greatest, greatest thing I've ever done. Uh, we got married like two months ago, uh, and she hates when eyes are on her, so I'm going to hear about it later for sure. But I hope you all had a great Christmas. I hope you were able to celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior. I hope you were able to enjoy time with your family, with your friends. Also, I hope you were able to watch a little college football. Um, I know, Clemson, I'm sorry. You weren't where you always want to be or where you always should be. It seems like uh, somebody else had to come in and take the crown this year. Yeah, come on, go dogs. Go dogs. Uh, 
I hope, I, I hope the, the state of Georgia and our fan base had your support because who wants to see Alabama win again and again and again and again? Nobody. So uh, go dogs, go tigers, uh, most importantly, go Jesus, I guess. So here we go. <laughs> so it's my understanding that the fall goal of FCA uh, was to communicate the gospel for y'all to uh, really hear the gospel, hopefully hear uh, and, and allow the true meaning, the true message of the gospel to sink in. That's my understanding of what the fall is. If I'm incorrect, then I just need to go out that door right there. And I pray that somebody in this room professed Christ as their Lord and Savior in the fall from September to um, you know, November, December, whenever your last day here was, I pray earnestly that somebody put their faith in Christ last semester. And if so, man, I'm going to praise the Lord for that, and we're going to celebrate that uh, because there's a party happening in heaven nonstop, and it's happening for us, for his sons and his daughters. Um, and I pray that it continues to happen on this campus, in this room, and I pray that y'all feel equipped to take this when you gather as a body, I pray that you feel equipped to take it and run it straight back into your dorms, to your apartments, uh, cafeterias, whatever, uh, wherever you are. I pray that you just feel equipped as a son and a daughter to go be fishers of men uh, because that is a lifestyle and it's not a job, it's not a vocation, it is, it is a lifestyle that he has set us on. So I pray that is what you are doing. It's also my understanding that the spring goal you want to talk about spiritual disciplines. Um, we are not going to talk about a specific spiritual dip- discipline tonight. My goal for tonight is to uh, kind of start building the bridge from the fall to the spring of, okay, we heard the gospel. You heard the gospel a lot. Hopefully it sunk in. Now, how can we go deeper in our walk with Christ? And I hope that we can lay down board number one of the bridge tonight um, to connect accepting Christ, to living a deep and meaningful life for Christ. So, I want you to to understand that after you accept Christ or after you hear the gospel message, it doesn't stop there. Uh, The enemy doesn't give up. Satan does not give up when you say, hey, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. The enemy does not give up when you put your identity and your faith in Christ. He never gives up. So there's a battle consistently happening. We're not going to talk about spiritual warfare here, but there's a battle consistently happening. And that battle is, okay, if the enemy understands that you have put your identity in Christ or you've put your faith in Christ, he can't get that back, hopefully. But what he is going to try to do is he is going to put all of his effort and energy uh, and everything that he has into holding back 99% of what living for Christ is. If he can get you to hold on to the 1% and you just be like, okay, I'm in in the shallow end of my walk with with Christ right now. I got the floaties on. I'm like getting my toes wet. If he can just get you to stay there, then he is, he's winning. He's doing our job. He's doing his job. He does not want us to fully experience life in Christ doesn't want you to fully experience truth and freedom. He doesn't want you to experience any of that. 
So I want you to keep that in mind. If he can get you to hold the 1% and withhold the 99%, then he thinks that he is doing his job. And I pray that tonight, by the end of tonight, we can make gradual steps to understand how I can experience the whole person of Christ in a deep and meaningful relationship. You're going to hear me say that countless times. If I had to title this sermon or whatever, it would be deep and meaningful relationships. I want to give you an analogy here. Just picture with me uh, a, a prisoner on death row. Okay? He's obviously on death row. We all know what, what death row is. He is about to, to walk into the end of his life. <clears throat> and if a prisoner from death row is released into freedom because, A, somebody came in and paid all the debts for him or her, B, innocent all along, shouldn't have been there in the first place. If he walks out of that prison and he's walking into freedom, but he stops in the parking lot of the facility and doesn't get past the parking lot, if he stays in the parking lot, he, you could say he's only experiencing 1% of freedom that has been granted to him, right? He just got out of death row. He went from death to life, you know, chains, slavery to freedom. And he's just camping out in the parking lot because he is content with not being here and being here. But there's a whole other 99% of life in front of him or her. There is life in front of them. There is freedom in front of them. Ultimate freedom is not found in the 1% box. Going from death to life is half of the journey. It's half of the journey. The Lord wants to take you from death to everlasting life. You could probably guess what I'm about to say next. He wants to take you from death to a deep and meaningful relationship with himself. So as we go out throughout this whole thing, I want you to picture death row inmate walking from death row and staying in the parking lot, hosting a Sunday uh, church service in the parking lot, standing up and saying, hey, I used to be there, but now I'm here, instead of saying, man, that is where I was, but look at where Christ has taken me. Look at where the Lord is for him. Because I have a relationship with him and because I'm experiencing that relationship for him. So the Lord's heart for us is that we would experience deep and meaningful life with him and not be so concerned with what we just walked out of. He's, he does not want you to focus on uh, your sins of the past. He does not want you to focus on what death was uh, behind you. He wants you to put and fix your gaze solely on him and continue to walk. From 1% to 99%, he wants that for us. It hurts his heart when we withhold back from him. Picture that. A loving and everlasting creator of the universe, his heart is hurt when we, just can, when we just settle for the 1% of freedom that he's granted us. He wants our full attention, focus, and commitment to him so that we can live life as he intended. 
If you're the prisoner and you're walking from death row to the parking lot, the parking lot is not life intended for freedom for you. Okay, the 1% is not uh, the, the life intended when it comes to your relationship with Christ. He wants to take you all the way. And he wants you to wake up every morning and say, hey, God, I'm saying yes to you. Every single day, I'm saying yes to you. If I'm in chemistry class, Lord, I'm saying yes to you. If I'm leading worship up here, he's saying yes to God. Nobody else. Freedom isn't found in anywhere else or anyone else. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. So, if you're anything like me, you're over here thinking like, dude, how, like, what is, what, what is a deep and meaningful relationship with the Lord? You know, I'll, I'll summarize with the intended life with Christ is us having or experiencing deep and meaning, meaningful relationship with him. And there are three things that come to mind when I think about having that sweet moment with Christ day in and day out. So if you're taking notes, you can write a number one here. Communion with God. First step on how you encounter a deep and meaningful relationship with God, you have communion with him. Essentially, I'm pulling this from Acts 8, 26 through 40. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a chunk, but if you want to write it down and read it later, Acts 8, 26 through 40, communion with God. Essentially, in that passage, the Lord, through an angel, told or guided Philip to, a, to journey to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And when you're reading Acts, when you're reading this passage, you're going to see go to the road that takes you from Jerusalem to Gaza. I just want to give you a little context on what that road was. That was a major trading highway back in the day. So there's foot traffic consistently happening. An angel is telling Philip, hey, go to that road, camp out, just stay there. He's guiding him to that road. And then once he got to that, bless you, once he got to that road, he told Philip to specifically stand next to the chariot. If you know this passage and you know it well, once he gets to the chariot, Philip ends up baptizing uh, this eunuch, this guy, and the spirit carried Philip away. So he's guiding Philip elsewhere uh, while the eunuch went about rejoicing. Knowing God as a friend, getting to a place where you can say, God is my friend, and he's calling you his friend. Being close enough to him that there's no question in mind that he's got your back, you got his back, your homies, your BFFs for life. BFFFL. Best friends. Whoa, I just added an extra F there. BFFL, right? Best friends for life. Tracking? That's not in the notes. That's free, so. <laughs> the contrast of this, so with each point I'm going to give you, communion with God, I'm going to give you a contrast of each one. The contrast of this um, is attending a weekly church service or event, um, you know, showing up to FCA once a month, showing up to FCA once a week, and then calling it quits on your communion with the Lord, um, or uh, only praying at meals 
or when asked you to do in a group setting. So you're not experiencing uh, the Lord through the body of Christ in a church consistently or a small group consistently, uh, one-on-one discipleship at all in consistently, or also you're not in communication with the Lord. It's a contrast of being in communion with God. You know, to be a friend, you got to talk to somebody, right? They got to talk back. You got to rub shoulders. You got to do life on life with people. That is what God wants us to do day in and day out, to wake up, rub shoulders with him, and say yes to God so that we can experience deep and meaningful relationship with him through one, communion with God. Number two, fellowship with others. I'm pulling this from John 17, 4 through 26. You want to write that down for a reference point for later. John 17, 4 through 26 um, essentially, in that passage, Jesus wanted people to be toward one another just as he and the Father are, meaning the most pure and holistic type of fellowship we can experience. I'm going to say that again. When it comes to uh, fellowship with others, his heart for us when we come into fellowship with one another, when we gather right here, holistic is to experience the most pure and holistic type of fellowship we can. He is saying just as Jesus is for God and God is for Jesus, I want you to be for you. If you want like a, the best human example I can give you is in the Old Testament, David and Jonathan, best friends. They were in fellowship with one another consistently. They had each other's back. So not only were they in communion with one another, they're also in fellowship with one another. That's like the best example I can give you when it comes to a human term. The contrast of this, uh, before I get to the contrast, to summarize what I mean when I say fellowship with others, it is a true, selfless, and a cup-overflowing type of fellowship. So it's not... Um, not what you want or not what you can gain but how you can come along somebody else and get to an end goal together to urge one another in love to push one another to holiness in Christ contrast of this I just introduced it for you accomplishing what you want in a relationship but not giving other brothers and sisters the authority to speak into your life. That takes a whole lot of humility. The most humbling thing I have ever done is get married. She calls me out every day. (laughs) Hear about that too on the way home. (laughs) But seriously, You know, when's the last time you went to a brother or a sister that you knew deeply, that you were in communion with, that you were in fellowship with, and you were like, hey, where am I falling short? Or, hey, where where can I grow in order to build the kingdom of God more efficiently? What sin in my life am I blind to? We are all blind to our own sin. And the Lord has granted us, brothers and sisters, 
to speak that truth and identity in us through him. How cool is that? Number three. Guys, we're cruising. Y'all are doing a good job being an audience. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, if you're writing down, write, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So number one, we have communion with God. Number two, we have fellowship with others. Number three, it's being empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm pulling this from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. If I am talking too fast to the note takers in the room, just like tell me to be quiet for a second. Give you time to catch up. Essentially, in that passage, uh, Paul is telling us to be ambassadors for Christ. He's imploring us to be ambassadors for Christ, to allow God to make his appeal through us. That is verbatim right there, to allow God to make his appeal through us. Uh, If you... We're listening to the song that was just played before I came up here <clears throat> like a bozo. Uh, you know, we, he was in, we we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come down. Like we're inviting the Holy Spirit to intercede on our behalf, to open up our hearts so that the Father can make an appeal through us. How cool is that? Like, he has sent his spirit to live in us. For one, to be ambassadors for his son, the savior of the world. And two, so the father can make an appeal through us. Stinking cool. To build the kingdom of God the way we walk or use our influence over others. I love working with college students. Absolutely love it. Uh, You are way cooler than me. 98% of you are way taller than me. The main message that I try to convey to every college student that I am in a one-on-one relationship with is I want you to reach your full potential in order to influence others for the sake of Christ. Man, I, I like know that it can be uh, hard to be a college student sometimes. I know, I don't know, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that uh, every Christmas break was not the same Christmas break for every person in this room. There's different weights that you're carrying back in. There's turmoil that you're walking into when you leave school. I mean, if you're at home after you've tasted a little bit of freedom going to school and then you go back home for a month, there's just obviously going to be some speed bumps along the way. But the influence that you have over each other over your communities, over the younger generation, 
is this in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. I want y'all to be ambassadors for Christ and to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that when you feel him move, you move. When you feel him nudging you to speak, you speak. Being so sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit that when God wants to make an appeal through you, you stand up and you make the appeal. It's been said a couple of times, but our plan was to come up here this morning. We were going to leave around 10, get up here, hang, eat a lot of cinnamon rolls at All In. Caleb calls, and he's like, hey, man, I uh, have some symptoms. What are, what are your thoughts? And I was like, I don't know what my thoughts are. We're about to be in front of a lot of people. And I don't know if that's the wisest thing to do. So he did the responsible thing. He went and got tested. Came back positive. I sat in a room from like, I mean, that speaker to like all the way up there where Caleb was earlier. And we started at 1 o'clock. And like we started walking through his message, started walking through what the Lord was pressing in on me. And he made a comment, and I'm not up here telling you this comment because, like, look at me, boast me, because I am the biggest sinner of all. But he was like, man, you're doing, like, a really courageous thing. And I was like, dude, I don't really understand what you mean by that. <clears throat> I'm just, like, saying yes to the Lord right now. Uh, I know that the team that is leading you has had some, like, speed major speed bumps come up in scheduling and in planning, and uh, Caleb was just another stinking speed bump. Um, and we're, like, sitting there, and he's like, no, man, like, you're, you're being courageous because, not because you're, like, standing up in front of college students, not because you're, you're going to Clemson FCA, but because you're saying yes to, to Christ. The Lord is, is wanting to make an appeal through me and I've just said yes. And I just want to encourage you to be so in tune with what he wants that it's an easy decision that you don't even second guess it. They're like, yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm going there. Dang, that person sitting by themselves, I'm going to go invest in him or her because Christ invested in me when I was by myself. Because he didn't turn his back on me, I'm not going to turn my back on my brothers and sisters. I just want to like, pose a question to you here. Do you view yourself as having a stake in this ministry? Or are you simply a bystander to what God is doing and ignoring or deflecting responsibility that he is trying to give you? Like, do you truly believe that you have a stake in this ministry? 
that spreading the love of Christ and being a disciple maker is a lifestyle, not just because I'm on stage, but you have a stake in this ministry because you are the people. You are the body of Christ here on Clemson, here at Clemson, (laughs) sorry. There's a weight that comes with that because there was a weight when Christ died for us. I don't just want you to go through your college years thinking, okay, I'm just going to go by the seat of my pants here. going to be a bystander. Man, they're doing a great job over there. They're doing a great job over there. I don't really belong. Man, none of the disciples belonged before Christ interceded. You think, you think Saul belonged when he's killing people? And then the Holy Spirit intercedes, Christ intercedes. And he's like, hey, Saul, you're going to be Paul, and you are going to go have a stake in this ministry. And then he writes 80% of the New Testament. The contrast of this would be I mean, maybe only serving in a soup kitchen once a month. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying don't go serve in your local soup kitchen. My wife loves serving in soup kitchens. This is why I brought this up. That's why I wrote it down. It's not wrong. But is it the max of what God is calling you to do? Or is serving in the soup kitchen 1% of what he's calling you to do? And if it's only 1%, I cannot plead with you enough to just go ahead and give him the rest of the 99% of your heart. It's only going to be for your good. You're only going to grow in holiness and godliness. Man, this is cool. We just get to open the text and allow the Lord to have his way right now. I want to pose another question, and I want you to write this question down if you are taking notes. Are we living the lives that God has intended us for has intended for us or are we living the lives that we are comfortable with I'll say it again are we living the lives that God intended for us or are we living the lives that we are comfortable with and I'm not up here, you know, raising Cain about comfort. I genuinely believe that the Lord grants us comfort. It is of him. But I know a lot of times comfort can turn into complacency. And I 100% do not believe 
that complacency is of our God. If he was complacent, I would assume that Christ would have dropped the cross on the road and turned away. If he was complacent, he wouldn't have ascended into heaven and built his church upon Peter in Acts. If he was complacent, he wouldn't have nudged your heart or or had a, a brother or sister in your life say, hey, we're going to FCA tonight. Deep and meaningful relationship with God does not happen unless we understand the most important concept there is. Write this down. Bold, bold, here we go. It's on every single billboard in heaven. Jesus died for me so I would be reconciled with God. Most important concept that we can take away for tonight, Jesus died for me so that I would be reconciled with God. If I were to describe marriage to you, if you were to ask me, hey, Trent, what's marriage like? I would immediately start telling you about Abby because the concept that I have of marriage is all I know because of her. She's my wife. I've only been married once. I've seen other people be married. I grew up with people being married around me. But the concept that I have of marriage is my wife. So I would begin describing who my wife is, who Abby is. And it's because we are in communion together, we are in fellowship together, and we pray, I I kid you not, we are praying every single night for the Lord to open up opportunities for us to just be an extension of his kingdom. We live in a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment that we pay way too much for, And if one of you needed a stinking place to stay in Atlanta for two months, I guarantee you, Abby would be like, hey, yeah, come take our bed. Here's two extra pairs of sheets. There's 10 towels in the bathroom. Here's all the food you can eat. She is the concept that I have of what marriage is. And just as marriage is Abby to me, man, I hope y'all get this, just as Abby is marriage to me, Even more so, salvation is God. And God is salvation. Coming from death to life is only halfway there. Leaving death row and going to the parking lot is only halfway there. You've only experienced 1%. If you were to ask me, hey, Trent, what's salvation? Man, God is so great creator of the universe, savior of the world, sent his only son to die for us, sent his Holy Spirit to intercede upon us. Jesus is in heaven right now, going to, the, going to God every single day and be like, hey, he, he's doing good. He is interceding for us right now. Salvation is God. He does not intend our life to cease in the parking lot. He wants us to experience the rest of the world. It hurts him when we only experience 1% of him. I have three verses, and then we're going to close, because I know you're tired of hearing me talk up here. John 17, 3. I'm actually going to read these, because these, man, I just want you to, I, I want these to set in. John 17, 3. 
And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? Eternal life is only the one true God and through Jesus Christ, whom he has sent for us. Salvation is God. In order for you to experience deep and meaningful life, or in order for you to have communion with him, fellowship with other believers, and an empowerment from the Holy Spirit, you have to understand that salvation is God. And, and walk a gap of how we can go from hearing the gospel message, eating it up, taking it in, and walking into the spring and being like, how can I hate more of God? In the song it said, hey, Holy Spirit, come on down. You're all we want. Is that all you want? Salvation is God, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Second, second scripture, 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not the 1% of life, but the 100% of life. You are walking in unison with him. You are experiencing true freedom and life and love and joy and peace and comfort in him. Granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Life and godliness is found in God's own glory and God's excellence. Not in FCA, not in your relationship with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend, not in uh, how, how well you keep the peace at your house or in your apartment. Life and godliness is found through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and his excellence. He wants you to experience his own glory. He wants you to experience his excellence. And I want to close with this. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. You've probably all heard it. You probably all know what it says. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Rid all grievous ways in me, and lead me into life everlasting. What this is saying is understanding that salvation is God will lead us to a relentless pursuit of God at any cost. Man, if I could, if you could walk out of here with one thing tonight and you're gonna walk back in to, to your class tomorrow morning and you, I want you to wake up and say, give me God at all cost. That's all I want. Because all he wants is for you to experience his glory and his excellence. He wants communion with you. He wants you to be in consistent fellowship with one another. And he wants you to listen and be empowered by the Holy Spirit.
you can close your, your, your notebook, you can close your Bibles. I want you to take the next few moments as the band continues to come out and pray for the Lord to search your heart and reveal to you what it is that he wants from you. Reveal to you what it is that he wants from you in order for you to experience deep and meaningful relationship with him. Whether that be fasting every day, whether that be uh, consistently praying at, a, at the same time every day, whether that be getting coffee with 18 people a day, whether that be a, a silence and solitude moment in your week where you're setting aside three hours a week and you're just spending it with him. And as, as you learn about the spiritual disciplines week by week from here on out, I, I want you to always keep in mind that spiritual disciplines are there in order to bring you closer to Christ so that you have deep and meaningful relationship. Let's pray. Lord, we're so, so stinking thankful. God, we ask that you search our hearts. We ask that you have your way with our hearts or reveal to us whatever it is that you want from us in order for us to experience deep and meaningful relationship with you. To experience the rest of the 99% of what life is when we put our faith in you. Lord, don't, don't let us be content with the 1%. So Lord, search our hearts right now. And I pray that you, in this moment, bring to the surface what it is that we need to give over to you or what it is that we need to do in our everyday life in order to fall deeper in love with who you are. Father, continue to have your way on this campus, in this room, with each and every heart here. We love you and we trust you. Shall we pray? Amen.